So, Squirrel will say something about it. Yeah, him, so. he will. He will. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods, where it is eight below zero outside. I am so happy for central heat. This is a day to rejoice that... I didn't even have to chop wood to be as warm and comfy as I am. I live in a modern, technologically advanced society, at least for the moment. <laughs> there are certain uh, elements that are working hard to, uh, oh, how do we say, uh, destroy and remove that technologically advanced society from us. But for the moment, we still have electricity and I still have central air and a gas stove so hopefully this will hold on my all of my motor vehicles run on gasoline too um do not have an electric car although there is a big tesla charging station in superior um part of the network that uh, tesla put in nationwide so you can drive your hour and a half and then spend three hours charging the car before driving another hour and a half so um it's good to know that they're out there <laughs> all right folks this is squirrel chatter a podcast dedicated to scripture history current events theology and whatever else i want to talk about and today is monday so we are looking at monday meanderings and uh it's it's been a, last week was a busy week, so we've got uh, quite a bit to talk about today. We webcast live at 7:30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch, and then you can download the audio podcast on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get good podcasts. Chances are you will find us there, and we are a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com and check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. More are being added all the time, and uh, I commend them to you. Um, uh, last week's Matter of Theology was really good. Um, last Thursday night's Apologetics Live was really good. Um, excellent stuff on Tim Keller and... Uh, the host of Conversations That Matter was one of the guests on, uh, and Conversations That Matter is not one that I regularly listen to just because I don't have time to listen to everything. But uh, he was uh, one of the guests on, uh, on Apologetics Live, and so I went back and listened because he had done a series, an expose of Tim, Ker Tim Keller's aberrant theology. And so I would uh, point you to that. Uh, it's conversations that matter. And there's probably five or six hours. Um, there's at least that many episodes that are dedicated to researching and discussing Tim Keller's theological views. So if you have any questions about Tim Keller, if you're looking for something to share with perhaps a friend or a pastor who seems to be an admirer of Tim Keller's, I would encourage you to head back and find those episodes and share them. I will share them later today on Twitter. I listened to them over the weekend, um, even including driving to and home from church yesterday, which uh, was kind of, you know, I, because Mrs. Squirrel was like, who are they talking about? What's this about? Um, it's not that she doesn't pay attention to such things. It's just that uh, she doesn't keep up with them at the level that I do for obvious reasons. Um, hope you had a great day at church yesterday. We certainly did. Um, yeah, had, a, had a great day at church, followed by lunch at Dairy Queen. Because... And this is my considered opinion. 
of all the fast food restaurants of which I have partaken, I believe that Dairy Queen has the best onion rings. The ones at Hardee's aren't bad. Um, Burger King's, yeah, they're they're a processed, formed ring thing, kind of a deep fried funyun. But uh, the ones at at uh, Dairy Queen, that they they are probably the best fast food onion rings. I'm not saying they're not the best onion rings I've ever had, but as far as fast food onion rings, Dairy Queen. That's the place to go. And I am one of those guys who typically does onion rings instead of fries. So, mainly because I am a type 2 diabetic and potatoes are not my friend. So, I avoid potatoes mostly. Not entirely, but mostly. When I visit a Waffle House, I've got to get hash browns. Just all there is to it. All right, well, let's get started today. we got a lot to go over. Mm. And a lot of coffee to sip. I've actually been up, uh, got up fairly early this morning, so this is the last cup of my first pot of coffee, and I started the second pot brewing right before I went on the air. So when I'm done here, I have hot, fresh coffee waiting for me in the kitchen. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. The Holy Spirit Validates Jesus is the title of this devotion. And the verse cited is Matthew 3.16b, which reads, The heavens were opened, and he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Dr. MacArthur writes, About the supernatural sign that occurred at the conclusion of Jesus' baptism, one commentator has suggested, just as the veil of the temple was rent in twain to symbolize the perfect access of all men to God, so here the heavens are rent asunder to show how near God is to Jesus and Jesus to God. But did Jesus really need an anointing from the Holy Spirit? When he came to earth, Jesus retained his full deity, in his complete humanity, however, he needed divine strengthening for his ministry. Like any human being, Jesus experienced fatigue, hunger, sleepiness, and the like. Only the Holy Spirit could strengthen such humanness. Cross-references are Matthew 4.1 and Luke 4.14. That the Spirit came upon him at his baptism was a fulfillment of the prophet's words, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord, ha Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, Isaiah 61.1. It was also the sign that God had given to John the Baptist so that he would know Jesus when he saw him, John 1.33. This anointing by the Holy Spirit was unique in several ways including being the only New Testament instance in which the Holy Spirit appeared at a dove, as a dove. More importantly, however, this act does not only empowered Jesus as the Son of Man for redemptive service, but it was also a confirming sign to everyone present, and to us as well, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Ask yourself, if Jesus was dependent on the Spirit's empowering for effective service, how much more do we need his help and strengthening? 
In what ways are you making yourself fully open to the Holy Spirit's power and direction? Pray that he will make you ever more aware of your need for him. All right. Well, this is Monday Meandering. And in the last week, two important sets of police video were released. One set has to do with the murder of uh, Tyree Nichols, which, was, which happened earlier in January. And the other was from back in October and the Paul Pelosi attack. So we're going to talk about both of these videos. Let's talk about the newer one first, and that's the Tyree Nichols situation. Back on January 7th, a traffic stop in Memphis resulted in the severe beating of a 29-year-old man at the hands of Memphis police officers. Now, three days later, on January 10th, he, he died from his injuries in the hospital. And the autopsy report says it were, these were injuries from a severe beating. That, that, that's actually a quote. Now, in the time since then, as that was today is the 30th, so that we're talking 20 days since Tyree Nichols has passed away. In that time, statements were made by various law enforcement people who had seen the body cam footage and other footage that was available to them of the incident. And the police chief in Memphis said there is no evidence supporting the reason for the traffic stop to begin with, and there is absolutely no evidence that would justify the use of force that, that resulted in Mr. Nichols losing his life. All five police officers have been fired by the Memphis Police Department, and they have all been charged with murder and other crimes. The officers were identified as Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. They were fired on the 20th, and they were indicted on the 26th by a grand jury. The charges include second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping resulting in bodily injury, aggravated kidnapping involving the possession of a weapon, official misconduct through unauthorized exercise of power, official misconduct through failure to act when there is a duty imposed by law, and official oppression. And the, as I said, the Police chief, um, which is uh, Sarah Lynn Davis, is the Memphis police chief. I hope I'm pronouncing her first name correctly. She called the officer's actions heinous, reckless, and inhumane. And last Friday, the body cam footage was released. So this has been a hot topic all weekend. I'm sure you've heard about it if you haven't watched the video now, there are short clips available online. There are also the full video, which involves, I believe, three or four different cameras. I believe there's like three body cameras, um, dash cam video, um, and a traffic camera that was overlooking the scene of the beating. There are, in total, 67 minutes of video available of the incident. Now, I have not watched it all. What I have watched, I would characterize as brutal and inexcusable. And I understand the defense attorney's objection to the release of this video before the trial, because this will make it very hard to find an unbiased juror. Um, I really, I have not seen anybody even trying to defend the level of force that was used against these, uh, used against Mr. Nichols by these police officers. And like I said, I haven't watched it all. I'm probably going to watch more of it today. Um, it's not pleasant. I don't really enjoy it, but I'm 
curious enough to see what had happened. Like I said, I, I honestly don't know why he was pulled over. And I don't think I can really trust the word of five cops who would beat a guy to death after they pulled him over as to why they pulled him over. Because the, the, the beating just seemed totally unnecessary. He was not resisting. He was not fighting. Um, it just, yeah, not, not good. And even if he was pulled over for a legitimate reason, there's nothing in the video that I saw that justified any use of force, let alone the level of force that the man received. The police chief said that there was no evidence to support the reason given by the officers for the tra traffic stop. They said he was driving recklessly. There is nothing on dash cam video or I guess probably any traffic cameras that the police chief has been able to review that would support that. Now she honestly and correctly said that just because they haven't found any evidence for the reason that the reason wasn't legitimate because we don't know. He may have been driving in an erratic matter. He was just finishing his shift at uh, Federal Express. Well, FedEx now. I guess they officially changed the name. Why did they do that? Federal Express is a perfectly good name, and we all called them FedEx. Why change your name officially to your nickname? But that's beside the point. Uh, Mr. Nichols had just finished his shift at Federal Express and was on his way home when the traffic stop occurred. And as I said, the police chief said there's no evidence to support the reason for the traffic stop. Now, as you can imagine, there have been violent riots in Memphis and other cities. L.A., Sacramento, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Boston, New York, Dallas, Atlanta. Washington, D.C., and doubtless other places. And there were instances of violence. Um, I, I've seen pictures of police cars that were smashed and torched in L.A. and in New York and probably some other places as well. But by and large, um, it seemed that the, the protests did not turn as violent as the George Floyd protests over the summer of 2020. A couple of reasons for that. One is law enforcement and political uh, politicians anticipated, <clears throat> excuse me, anticipated a, a violent response and took preventative action. For example, Governor Kemp of Georgia mobilized a thousand National Guardsmen to Atlanta. And basically it was just, nobody's going to put up with this, behave. Um, the other reason why I don't think the, the um, protests got nearly as out of hand as they did during the summer of the George Floyd riots was the fact that while the victim of this police brutality was a black man, so were all five of the cops. So it makes it hard to make the racist claim stick. Although at least one commentator at CNN tried basically saying, just because the officers were black, that doesn't mean they weren't motivated by white supremacy. Okay, yeah, that's that's not a worldview that makes any rational sense at all. I wrote on Twitter over the weekend, the violent protests we are seeing around our nation right now, indeed over the last decade or so, and I would say going back to Ferguson, um, these riots are organized and they are purposeful. They are deliberate. They are not spontaneous expressions of anger. 
They are deliberate and they have a goal of destabilizing America to remake it as a socialist utopia. And that's they're organized. The 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 agitators, you know, I I I, I read report after report of, you know, where these riots are going on, a bunch of people have been arrested, and none of them are from the area where the riots are taking place. They're, they're, they're from out of town. That tells you it's deliberate and organized. That, that agitators are coming in from out of town, and we know who's funding them, and we know who's giving them their orders. And that, that it's a political thing. These are not genuine uh, expressions of rage from the people in the pl- in the area. These are coming from outside, and and you wonder, you know, here's here's another reason why this one fell apart quick as far as the riots. The officers had all been fired and charged with serious crimes days before the video was released. And because they've all been charged with murder and they're all going to face trial, and I, I would say they're likely to be convicted. I, I, if I was on the jury and they were showing me this video, oh, man, yeah, these guys are going down. The video is damning. And so... A lot of people are asking, so what are these protesters demanding? What more can be done? <laughs> you know, um, they're already been arrested. They've already been charged. They've already, you know, they're ready to face trial or, or probably not ready yet, but they will be facing trial. And I believe they're, they're likely to be convicted. So that that's another reason why the the protests seem to be um, fizzling. Now, as I said, the, the victim was black, but all five officers were also black. And one op-ed I read said, um, you know, it's not a case of racism. They said this, and I quote, this is a case of very bad cops doing a very bad thing and has absolutely nothing to do with racism or white supremacy. And indeed, I think there are other issues involved. One of those issues is the fact that Tyree Nichols died in a city with a Democrat mayor, a Democrat appointed or hired chief of police, Democrat city council. This is just like Minneapolis and Chicago and Seattle and just like the vast majority of crime-ridden cities in America. And I think a lot of this can be placed at the feet of leftist ideology. Since the beginning of the narrative that all cops are killers, you know, like I said, going back to the, the um, uh, Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson, Missouri, when a police officer, white, shot and killed a violent felon who had just left the scene of a strong-armed robbery and had been actually fighting with the police officer, of which he was twice the police officer's size, and had tried to grab the police officer's gun, and this has all been confirmed the cry went up that a white cop killed a black man because he was a black man. None of that was true. But outside agitators descended upon Ferguson, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis, and they trashed the city, and there were other riots in other areas of the country. Since that time, there has been this huge leftist-led, defund-the-police push. And as a result, and it just got worse in 2020, 
As a result, large urban areas are having issues with police officer retention and with recruitment. Experienced officers not liking what they're now facing on the streets and the fact that they're not getting any support from their governments have been taking early retirement or just quitting. And recruiting standards have been lowered because they're having a hard time finding people to take the job. So they've lowered the standards just so they can put bodies in uniform. I read one article that said that Memphis had recently lowered the standards for new police officers so that they would now accept applications from convicted felons. Okay. So you, you, you're losing experienced officers who are now not able to pass on their experience training the new officers. And you've lowered the standards of recruitment, so you're taking just about anybody. Now, I have not looked at the individual records of these five police officers. I don't know anything about them, really, other than their name, which I've read in the news. I've seen their pictures. I don't know them, don't know anything about them, don't know their background, don't know how long they've been on the force, none of that. I just haven't looked into it. So I'm not commenting about these specific five officers. But I know that large urban areas are having trouble with retention and recruitment. And they've lowered standards in order to get bodies into uniform. Now, these officers, these five officers, were part of a 15-month-old special unit. And it was a 40-member police squad that was called the Scorpion Squad. Now, Scorpion is an is a anagram that stands for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. And this was a unit that was established in October of 2021. So it was just 15 months old. But in that 15-month ex existence, it has been plagued with violent encounters and allegations of police brutality. And it was accused of being a thug squad. Now, like I said, again, I haven't looked into the record. I haven't looked into the allegations. I know nothing about it, but I do know that over the weekend, the city of Memphis dissolved the Scorpion Squad. It no longer exists. Um, I guess this was the final straw after many allegations of police brutality. There is an age-old problem when you give people authority. There's a, a Latin phrase, and excuse my Latin pronunciation, but I'm going to try it. It's case custodiat ipsos custodes. And basically it means who will guard the guardians? Who is going to take custody of the custodians? Not meaning janitors, meaning guards, watchmen. Who will watch the watchers? Who polices the police? That's the idea. Because, you know, they're the ones that are charged with enforcing the law. When they are themselves criminal, yeah. what does that mean? How do you deal with that? Now, I have utmost respect for police officers, and I do believe that the vast majority of police officers across our nation are honest, hardworking, law-abiding men and women who want nothing better than to actually make their neighborhoods safer and make their cities better places to live. But there are elements. And as standards are lowered, those elements are growing. There are police officers who join the force for criminal motivations, 
They know they can take bribes from, from criminal organizations and make a lot of money. And there have been more than one instance in history of bad police officers and groups of bad police officers. Um, I think the, uh, there was a time in the 70s when the 40th precinct in New York City was referred to as the filthy 40th or the filthy, filthy 40, filthy 40th. And there was, you know, over a dozen police officers that ended up being arrested. Now, there were a lot more than 40, not more than a dozen police officers who worked in the 40th. But when they started investigating it, they found that, yeah, the majority wasn't corrupt. But of those that were corrupt, it went all the way up to, like, lieutenant level. Um, I think there was even a captain indicted. I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've read on the case. I, re I mean, I remember in the 80s, during you know the height of the, uh, I don't want to say the height of the drug running, but at least the height of the cocaine running from South America, when shows like Miami Vice were on TV and drug running was in the news all the time. I suppose it still is, but it's a, it's a different element now, and it's a different, the conversation has changed. But one of the places that was a corridor for drug running was the Louisiana swamps. And because they'd come up from South America, they'd get into the swamps, and, and you know they had drop-off points and everything in that area. And at that time... It, it had been said that the New Orleans Police Department was the best police department money could buy, meaning that most of the police officers had been bought, or large numbers of them. And it makes sense because the narco-traffickers traffic, had more money than a lot of third-world governments, and they were making billions, and so... They didn't mind giving thousands to police officers and politicians. So who will guard the guardians? Who will police the police? The FBI? We can't trust them. Look at, you know, they need policing as well. So this is, this is an age-old problem. When you give somebody authority, you better make sure it's somebody you can trust. And so we've seen this. I mean, it says not, not every cop is bad. Not every cop is certainly bad. Even bad cops aren't bad to this degree very often. But I've had more than a few police officer friends in my life. And we have had the discussion that one of the problems that develops in police thinking is an us versus them mentality. And I understand how it happens. They see humanity daily at its worst. Most of the time, police interactions with members of the public are going to be on, the mem on, on one of the worst days in the member of the public's life whether they're the criminal or whether they're the victim of a crime. So they don't always see people on the best of their behavior. They certainly don't always see people acting rationally, you know, because victims of crime can be just as emotional and just as irrational as, you know, anybody. And, and in that specific situation, it's easy to be angry and fly off the handle. And, and so they, they see people like that. And so there's this idea, this us versus them mentality. And it goes as far in some people that if, if you're not a cop, you're nothing. And so they, they, they have a tendency because, and, and as 
attacks on law enforcement have increased. I think we've seen that sort of thing increase too. Because as, as you see the defend the police thing and the riots and the politicians don't let them do their job and all of that, that, that just reinforces that us versus them mentality. The only guy I can trust is another cop. Well, the sad part is that you can't trust all the cops. And so who will guard the guardians? And there, there are other factors that I, I hadn't considered till I was in the shower this morning and listening to, to uh, Al Mohler. And his, his entire briefing this morning is on this case. And uh, I, would, I would encourage you to listen to it. He's got some good things to say. One of the things that he said that I hadn't considered is the, the militarization of our police departments. That's really gone on. I mean, started in the 70s when they first started to have SWAT teams um, where they were using military rifles and military tactics, small, small squad tactics to deal with severe situations. But since 9-11, really, police equipment has grown as far as SWAT teams where now they have armored vehicles and the, the run-of-the-mill street cop is more heavily armed than was the norm just a few decades ago. So, and, and a lot of it's legit. I mean, I know that there are many departments where now they carry rifles in their trunks because of some of the situations that they've run into. Um, like the, that bank robbery in California where the guys were wearing body armor um, and the police pistols were not sufficient. So they've started packing rifles because they might need more firepower. That's, that's understandable. But there's been an increase in the attitude of, uh, that's not the way to put it. it. There's been an increase in the, there's been a decrease in the hesitancy to use those weapons and to use that force. And then you add in the fact that you have, you know, this uh, growing inability to recruit good people to the, the job, leading to the recruiting of less good people. Um, so you got, you know, police officers who always see humanity, it's worse, and they can develop the idea that everybody's a criminal and that the only people they can trust are police officers. You have less experienced police officers who are less morally grounded and less well-trained who resent the public and they're already feeling like they're at war with the Republic. So the public, not the Republic, but you know what I'm saying? We need police, but we must never forget that police officers are still sinners there need to be high moral standards in the selection of police officers and they need to be held to a higher standard overall in the performance of their duties, as do all people in authority. Because case custodius, case custodiat ipsos custodis, applies to politicians and leaders in government as well as it does to the actual police officers on the street. And so all people in authority, we need to really look at their moral character and we need to really look at, you know, hold them to a higher standard. So start with the best people, train them to be better, 
and hold them to that high standard. Um, you know, when I was a kid, you, you trusted the police. And that was true even in black neighborhoods. That trust has been eroded. Some of it has been intentional. There have been people who have been working to erode that trust. Part of it has been eroded because they have not been as trustworthy as they should have been. And so, does there need to be police reform? I've thought so for a long time. And if you're honest, you've probably thought so too. And, and again, this is not a blanket condemnation of all police officers. In fact, most police officers are awesome people whom I'd be happy to have around. But there are some bad apples, and a bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Or as the Bible says, a little leaven leavens the lump. So... Now, let's go to the other video that came out this last week, and that was the Paul Pelosi attack video. You'll remember back in October 28th, Paul Pelosi, husband of then Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, was attacked by an intruder with a hammer in his house. Now, the early reports seemed weird. We were getting fragmentary stories that didn't seem to go together. And we were getting just enough of a picture that we didn't know what was going on. Now, sadly, this led to a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, you had the fragmentary data being put together in such a way that it showed Paul Pelosi in the worst possible light. And there were all sorts of allegations that he knew this guy and that, that they were gay lovers and that this was a lover's spat that had gone wrong. There were stories of, you know, that, that they were dressed in bondage and S&M gear when the police arrived. And I remember hearing all of this. And the early reports were weird because, I mean, we weren't getting information. Now... The authorities, both San Francisco police and federal authorities, were refusing to release the 911 call, the police body cam footage, and all of this stuff. Now, I understand, as I mentioned earlier, when I said that I understand the, the defense attorneys for the police officers in Memphis's point that releasing this video is prejudicial and it makes it hard to find an impartial jury when something like this comes to trial. And that's one of the reasons why sometimes this stuff is not as forthcoming as we would think. And I think it's a legitimate reason. I don't think that was the case here. And the reason I don't think that was the case here is because of a Freedom of Information Act uh, lawsuit or filing by major news operations, including the Washington Times, CNN, you know, big-name news organizations, because of the ruling on this Freedom of Information Act request, the law enforcement officials were forced to release the the video and the 911 call. And now we know why they were keeping it under wraps. Has nothing to do with Paul Pelosi, has nothing to do with uh, some sort of S&M bondage thing gone wrong that they were trying to keep hidden so that it wouldn't embarrass Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. Not in the slightest. Has nothing to do with that. The reason that they tried so hard to keep all this stuff under wraps is because the San Francisco Police Department looks like idiots. The 911 operator 
was about as dense as a person could possibly be. Paul Pelosi calls 911. It is obvious that the intruder is listening. He makes that clear. <laughs> he, he acts like it was a mistake to call 911 because he's got to explain why he called 911. He says there's an intruder in his house. <laughs> he identifies himself as Paul Pelosi. He identifies his wife as Nancy Pelosi. He makes statements regarding the Capitol Police. Now, these statements are not straightforward. You know, I'm Paul Pelosi. I am the husband of the Speaker of the House. We normally have Capitol Police bodyguards here, but, the cap but my wife isn't here, so the Capitol Police aren't here. There's an intruder in my house. I need help. He can't say that because the guy's right there. And it's clear that the guy's right there, and it's also clear that that's what he's saying. And the 911 operator doesn't get it. It is, I mean, here, here's a thought. And I used to, I used to run, no, no, it wasn't law enforcement, but I ran security for a sawmill. Now, we really... You know, there were security concerns because of radical environmentalists who would try to sabotage equipment, et cetera, et cetera. But mostly we were there like a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall. We were there to take care of problems if they occurred. And, you know, one of those problems was being a clearinghouse of information for um, if there were emergencies on site, if there was a medical emergency or if there was an accident or a fire or something, we were the people that everybody called so that we would then deal with 911, etc. And so we would be an information clearinghouse. And so because of that, I had a policy among my officers that worked the desk because they're the ones that are going to be on the phone. The same information was given to all the officers, but if, if you worked the desk, you had to know this stuff. And what you had to know was the names of every department head, what they were over, and their chief subordinates. So you would know who was the head of the plywood division and you would know who his shift managers were and who the head of maintenance was, etc. So that if there was an incident involving that department, you would know who to contact. Also, if you were contacted by somebody on that list, you would have in your head, this guy's important. I need to pay attention to this. If I was the head of 911 in San Francisco, I would make sure that all my operators knew the names of top politicians, city and state officials who live in the district. If you get a call from somebody named Pelosi, that ought to be setting off alarm bells. Quite frankly, the 911 system should have been programmed to flag it when it came up on their screen. This call is coming from this residence. This is the residence of XYZ. This is, a, this is an important person. Now, I'm not saying that important people shouldn't, that, that non-important people shouldn't get professional service from the police department. But what I'm saying is that there are people that we call VIPs, very important people, who, because of the nature of who they are and who knows who they are and all of this, they are exposed to a higher level of threat. And therefore, law enforcement needs to be more aware of them.
And this op this 911 operator was clueless. You can listen to it. Now, Paul Pelosi stayed pretty cool. He actually did a really good job on the phone. Um, you know, he gave them the, the guy's first name. He told him he didn't know the guy. He told him he had a problem. <laughs> you know, it, the guy's screaming, send the police. But he can't because, you know, the guy's sitting right there. So he's got to underplay it. And he did an excellent job. I was really impressed with, with Paul Pelosi's handling of the phone call. But none of that got communicated to the police. They didn't, in, in what I've seen, now the, 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 the body cam video starts as they're walking up to the house. We've heard the 911 call. We have not heard the dispatch call. We don't know what information was given to these police officers. They don't seem to know that this is a possible hostage situation involving a sensitive, politically sensitive individual. They don't seem aware of that. They roll up with no urgency at all. It's, it's like, you know, I've seen more attentive behavior in guys lounging at Venice Beach than these police officers showed. There, there was no urgency in there. So the, the, the door opens, and there's Paul Pelosi and the intruder. Paul Pelosi is in a, it looks like a, a shirt and underwear. It's four in the morning. Guy just got out of bed. He's been dealing with an intruder who woke him up in the middle of the night. And the intruder is fully dressed. The intruder is holding a hammer. And the police are not instantly all over him. It's not until the police order the guy to drop the hammer and he verbally refuses that he finally whacks Paul Pelosi with the hammer in full view of the camera. And it totally catches the police off guard. They are absolutely startled. They don't realize that they have been walking up to a hostage situation. They look like idiots. This is why none of this footage was released. I, I am absolutely convinced this was a huge CYA going on. Okay, a couple other things on, on a more on a different note. <laughs> Got a historical note. Today, in 1649... King Charles I of England was beheaded after being convicted by Parliament of treason. Also today, 12 years later, on the anniversary of Charles's execution, after the restoration of the monarchy, Charles II had Oliver Cromwell ritually executed some two years after he had died. So this was back in a day when you hated people so much that you would dig up their bodies and kill them again. Um, just a, an interesting, the, the, the English Civil War is an interesting topic. We won't get into it now. But uh, yeah, the, the very, very uh, tumultuous time in British history. But one to which we owe a great debt of gratitude because of the struggles between the king and parliament that led to the civil war and even the restoration of the monarchy, parliamentary systems became more powerful than the monarchy. So that, you know, now nowadays, the king is mostly ceremonial. I'm saying mostly ceremonial because we ha it's been... We haven't had a king put his foot down in the British monarchy on an issue in a long time. So it's mostly ceremonial. I think the, the, the monarchy still has real political power, but it has not been executed in quite a long time. Um, and it would probably not be very well received if it was. But the, the, the English Civil War really marks the ascension 
of legislature over monarchy. And so we owe a debt of gratitude, even if those perpetuating the, the Civil War were sometimes misguided. So whole big, deep topic. All right, finally, let you know that uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but one of my guilty pleasures is horror movies. I enjoy a good horror movie. And one of the most frightening movies from my youth um, came out sometimes in the, sometime in the 70s. And I don't remember the, the, the exact year. I think I was in junior high. But it was the movie The Amityville Horror, starring uh, James Brolin and uh, Nicole, uh, not, not Nicole, uh, oh, what was her name? Uh, Kidder. Uh, she was Lois Lane in the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman. Oh, what was her first name? Anyway, they starred in the movie The Amityville Horror, which is purported to be the true story of the Lutz family and their month in their demonically possessed house. Um, they, they bought the house and they moved in and weird things started happening and they eventually fled the house a month later and never went back. The house, we know for a fact, was the site of a murder um, years before the Lutz moved in. Um, that that a, a man, I can't remember his name either, but he killed his parents and siblings in the house. And so that's you know, was he the subject of the demonic possession, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, haunted house, the Amityville house. Well, it sold this month for $1.47 million. Now it last sold in 2017, so five years ago, for $700,000. So don't know quite why. Yeah, don't know quite, no, excuse me. I don't know quite why the price would have doubled in five years. Um, could just be that it, you know, some don't know who bought it, don't know anything about it. But anyway, the house has been sold again. Um, it's a famous address. It's a famous house. You'll remember it. It's got the, the barn-style roof and and the little weird windows up in the eaves and, and, and creepy, creepy house mainly because we've all seen the movie. <laughs> it, it's not a real creepy house if you're just looking at the floor plan and everything, but if you were building a house, you'd think twice about putting that those barn gables and stuff on it <laughs> just because of the look, you know? Um, so yeah, that was, that was uh, years ago in my youth, and, and that house has sold which is neither here nor there and is nothing worth noting other than my own interest in the movie. Um, Best-selling book, too. I read the book. The book is actually creepier than the movie. Um, again, it purports to be true. Uh, I have my very strong doubts, <laughs> um, but I don't totally deny the existence of the supernatural. Um, any hauntings, if they are real, aren't the ghosts of dearly departed loved ones. Any hauntings, if they are real, are demonic. And, and I'm convinced of that. So, because dead people don't have the power to hang around but demons, on the other hand, have been at work in our world for a long time and, and I believe still are um, until the Lord returns. But that's a discussion for another day. All right, folks, have a great Monday. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless.
Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.